Coffee isn't just a drink, it's who you are. We are Little Green Hive, and we're here to serve that perfect cup of coffee made just for you. We're women-owned and locally sourced. Our mission is to provide the best product for our customers, as well as strengthen our community. From fair trade coffees and teas, to breakfast, lunch, and smoothies, we have everything you need to start your day off right. Come visit us in downtown Roanoke, Grandin Village, and now at the Daleville Town Center, Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Hometown Stories. It means a lot to us. If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you shared us with a friend, left us a review, or subscribed to Hometown Stories. That way, you basically get first dibs as soon as we release a new episode. You can also email us at hometownstories at wdbj7.com. We'd love to hear your hometown story. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. WDBJ7 shares a special connection with Ukraine. Over the years, several journalists visited the country in an exchange program, which also brought Ukrainian journalists to Roanoke. But many say the trip was far more than just a professional exchange and had a profound impact personally. Seeing the crisis unfold as Russia invades the country leaves them fearing for the safety of their Ukrainian friends. In this episode of Hometown Stories, we invited WDBJ7 senior reporter Joda Scheel and former news managers Kelly Zuber and Dan Sweeney to share their experiences with us. This conversation originally appeared on the WDBJ7 Plus digital news desk. Thank you all so much for being here with us today. Glad to be here with you, Leanna. Thank you. Um, One of the first things I want to talk about, uh, you all participated in an exchange program through IREX, the International Research and Exchanges Board, but you all went at different times. So, Joe, I'm going to start with you. You went in 2004. Can you tell us about the purpose of this program and what you did while you were in Ukraine in 2004? Sure. So I was among the first group of uh, WDBJ employees who went to Ukraine. Again, this was sponsored by the organization IREX, which is uh, a global development and education organization that works in, I think, over a hundred different countries. And they coordinate exchanges in a number of different fields, including the media. So we were going over to Ivano-Frankivsk, which is a community in the western part of Ukraine near Poland. And the idea was to uh, create partnerships between U.S and Ukrainian media organizations to kind of foster uh, independent voices in emerging democracies. And so that's what we were there to do, to try to work with them. And, uh, you know, we we learned from them, they learned from us, and hopefully we were going to be able to help them um, get the benefit of our experience uh, as journalists and as uh, folks who are running TV stations, because a big part of uh, maintaining an independent voice uh, in a community like Ivano-Frankivsk is being able to be financially successful. So not only was I there as a journalist, but in my group, uh, Lolly Quigley, who was a sales uh, account executive in our sales department, and Mark Lehman, who was our production manager. And so they were there to help with both technical issues of uh, television production, as well as sales and commercial sales, that kind of thing. And I was working on the journalistic side. 
And we're sharing some of the pictures uh, that Joe and Dan and Kelly took and were able to go through for us today. So, Joe, sure. walk us through what we're seeing here. This is a group of yes. DBJers and Ukrainian journalists. Right. So uh, over on the, the right hand side were uh, Mark and uh, Lolly, but it, and we were standing outside uh, Vesha, which was a radio and television company there in Ivano-Frankivsk. Here you see the studio uh, where they did a lot of um, talk show format programs as well as uh, news programs. And it was an interesting operation. They were, um, you know, they didn't necessarily have the quite the resources that we do here in the United States, but they were um, very um, passionate about what they were doing. They were you know, trying to do the best job they could to be an independent voice in their community. And these are some of the pictures of us. Actually, that's uh, one of their professionals interviewing Mark Lehman um, as we were you know, there speaking with them. So again, it was a very professional organization uh, working with limited resources, but doing quite a, a good job. Um, and I think Kelly will be able to speak to a little bit about this. I was there in um, April of 2004, uh, which was a time right before a presidential election later in the year, which uh, became a real pivotal moment in Ukrainian, modern Ukrainian history. And you may have heard about the Orange Revolution. Well, I went before the Orange Revolution. Kelly went afterwards. And so we, we saw kind of a, had a different perspective on uh, the, the political situation in Ukraine. Yeah, Kelly, tell us about your trip. Yeah, um, well, I actually went twice. I went uh, to the same town that, uh, that Joe went to, Ivano Frankivsk, and I went in 2005. Um, the second place I went was to Rivni, um, which is also in western Ukraine, but much further north, uh, more toward the Belarus border. And um, it, it was, you know, of course, we were, we were grilling Joe and his uh, comrades when they came back to find out exactly what the trip was like, because they were the first ones to go. And they did see a very different world because when we went, uh, they were getting ready to send us the same week that the Orange Revolution occurred. And, you know, we're, we were working with IREX, which is an NGO for, um, with the works with the State Department. And we begged them not to send us then because we said, if these folks are journalists, they need to be covering this because this was a huge event. A million people showed up in Kyiv to protest the election. It, it was um, the foreign observers had concluded that it was corrupt and they took to the streets to get it overturned. So our trip was delayed. And we went about this time of year in 2005. And it actually uh, was a wonderful time to go uh, the place, I, the only way I can describe it, it was electric. Um, they really felt they had once again won their freedom, um, that they had overturned an election that was corrupt and that it was done by the people. And so there was just electricity in the in Kiev, in, in Ivano-Frankiv. I mean, it, it was amazing. And the journalists were fired up and they were ready to, you know, to cover anything and everything because they had pointed out the corruption and and something happened because of it. Uh, and they gained their freedom once again because of it. So it, it was an, a wonderful time to be there in very different situation from what um, what Joe and his group saw. Um, my, um, my trip to Rivni um, in 2008, three years later, was also interesting because the, as, as happens in a lot of, you know, revolutions and, and things like that, people, people have a, 
a kind of a glorified idea of how it's going to go from here. And it doesn't always turn out that way. So when we got back in 2008, the feeling in Ukraine was a little more subdued and it was a little there was a little disappointment there that not everything that they had hoped for had actually happened. But, you know, baby steps, baby steps. Um, and um, but still, and people who were really overwhelmed by a sense of freedom. And it's, it's amazing to hang around with folks like that that have, a, a, as I call, fresh with freedom. But, um, you know, in terms of what did, what did we learn and what did they want to learn, they were really very good journalists. They were very serious about their journalism and they were very, very good journalists. Um, what they wanted to know what, from us a, a lot was what else does a television station do? And I remember sitting in Rivney and looking out the window of the conference room we were in. And as I looked out the window in Rivney, there were cooling towers from the nuclear plant. And you, if you watch the, the national news, you'll, or the international news, you will hear Rivney because one of the major nuclear plants is right there. And I, can look out, I could look out the window of the conference room and I could see the towers, the cooling towers of the nuclear plant. And I could also see a huge chemical plant. And I looked at the group and I said, what are you gonna do about that? And they said, what do you mean? And I said, do you have a plan to evacuate Rivney? As television broadcasters, do you know how you're gonna to respond to an accident at one of these plants and possibly have to you know, come up with a plan to, to evacuate your, your town? How are you from a public service standpoint gonna help your viewers? And wow, did that start an interesting conversation with something they hadn't even thought of. So that, that was really rewarding to be able to bring those kinds of questions to them. So Dan, I wanna hear about your experience. When did you go and what were some of the big takeaways from you as you recall that experience? What sticks out in your mind? Well, I went to Kirovograd, which is in central Ukraine. And from what I was told, we were going over there to work on their digital media. We worked with the newspaper there and they were trying to figure out what a lot of newspapers here are trying to figure out or we're trying to figure out is how do you monetize digital media? Um, and also how do you update digital media? So that was my objective. I traveled over there with a gentleman um, who was at a Shures communication station from uh, Alaska who you're seeing right there, Dan Newman, wonderful guy. Um, so it was a tag team approach. How do how does journalism work in the in the digital sphere, and how how do you make money on that? Um, I think what sticks out to me is this was 2013, and just before um, Russia occupied Crimea, uh, and I think it was very intentional that um, we were chosen to go to this specific newspaper. Um, in the past, the newspaper had been bombed. Um, it wasn't clear who it was by, but. Um, there was a journalist, I think when we were there, who was also attacked. Um, they had some type of permanent ink um, sprayed on them. Um, so what really stands out is the courage uh, of the journalists. And you can you continue to see that today, um, just in communicating with them and, and journalists throughout that country. They are committed to being an independent country, um, being democratic. They've had some issues along the way with corruption. Um, as any young democracy may have, but um, that's really what stands out. And Kelly just, when Kelly was talking about um, some of the um, the um, nuclear f facilities there, 
the city I was in, Kirovograd, there was a uranium mine. And we actually got access to the uranium mine. This newspaper had never been there before. And we got there and they were a little reluctant to um, ask questions. So it was kind of a, an interesting interview because as soon as they, we sat down with the executive, they kind of looked at me to ask questions. So I think there was some, that's the picture right there inside the, uh, the uranium mine. Um, I think there was some, a little bit of reluctance um, to find, a little bit of relux, reluctance to ask the wrong question. Um, so it was really an honor to be a part of this program and, and to help them. And, and um, you know, walking away from it, I, I was really inspired by um, how tenacious those journalists are there and, and continue to be today. Dan, you have some pictures in there of some of the journalists. Uh, you can see that old WDBJ7 set. They came back here to Roanoke. What was that experience like for them to then come back here and see what you guys were doing up close? I think it was really eye-opening for them um, from a cultural standpoint. I remember the first place they wanted to go was Walmart. And they were amazed that you could go to one store and see everything there. Um, another thing that stands out is um, we had a cookout for these folks at my house. And um, I don't know if Joe remembers, but there was a breaking news situation that developed about five or six houses up the street. So it was interesting for them to see that whole situation unfold and police cars and ambulances go by. Um, also, one of the translators um, fell in love with America. And um, shortly after the Crimea situation, he was conscripted and was supposed to report to Crimea. Um, he lost one of his um, classmates in the war and instead of reporting, got on a plane and arrived in Chicago without any paperwork. He still, this was 2014, 2015, he's still trying to get his legal status situated. Um, he and I have remained in close contact. Um, so they're, they, loved America. They loved what we did. And um, I can say the same about Ukraine. It's a beautiful country. And the people were just so welcoming and wonderful. Joe, I know you yeah. did several stories uh, while you were there where you um, brought back what you kind of observed uh, to be able to show our viewers here. We're going to play one of the stories that you were showing people about how, uh, you know, Western Ukraine was modernizing. What do you remember about putting this? We're, we'll play it for people. But what do you remember sure. about putting the story together? So while we were there, of course, we were taking part in the exchange with our counterparts at, at uh, Veja. Uh, but we did take the opportunity to, to do some uh, news coverage of our own while we were there, both interviewing folks from the TV station, but also getting out into the community a bit. And so this was kind of a, a story that I did to try to provide a little perspective on kind of the situation that we encountered there in Ukraine um, and kind of the emerging democracy that we are emerging democracy and the these independent voices that we were working with. So maybe you should go ahead and play that now. The Soviet legacy is evident in the massive architecture of the capital, Kyiv. But in many areas, there's also an old world charm that owes more to European roots than Russian ones. Ivano-Frankivsk is located in western Ukraine in an area that was once part of Poland. Today, it's a bustling city of 250,000 that reflects both the problems and the promise of Ukraine. The week before Easter, the Red Cross was handing out food to elderly pensioners. In a country where the average wage is only about $100 a month, many live in poverty. 
Adequate affordable housing is in short supply, and the aging Soviet-era infrastructure is an obvious need of replacement and repair. But there are also unmistakable signs that conditions are improving. New construction and renovations to the city's historic district are a point of pride for residents. Yes, I like the renovations. It's cool. And for the mayor, who's made civic improvements a priority of his administration. After a few first years of renovations, the researchers uh, have shown that young people began to, to be proud of their city. A dozen years after independence, Ukrainian democracy is still evolving. And with a presidential election scheduled in October, there's a sense that Ukraine is standing at an important crossroads. Yes, yeah, so even in 2004, there was a sense that, you know, big things were happening in Ukraine, and it certainly played out, you know, as we talked about uh, Kelly's visit later after the Orange Revolution. The highlight, of course, w were the people, and uh, following the events in Ukraine in the last couple of weeks has been just, you know, very sad and sobering and uh, had us wondering uh, how those people who we worked with in that trip are doing. Um, you also noticed a lot of the architecture you may have seen in the photographs and in that video. And I mean, there is a lot of uh, beautiful architecture, uh, you know, historic uh, buildings and uh, other uh, churches and, and other types of facilities here. Yeah, so this is uh, overlooking the Dnieper River in, in Kyiv. There's the city of Kyiv. Uh, this is the river that splits uh, Ukraine, but also flows through the city there in in Kyiv, and you'll see coming up here some, you know, again, this is the uh, St. Michael's Monastery in the heart of Kyiv, just one example of just this amazing architecture. And you know, I did a story this week, uh, a little short piece about how the Virginia Museum of Natural History in Martinsville is, is working to try to chronicle and, um, you know, document uh, a lot of these cultural sites in Ukraine in an effort to preserve them. This was one of the most uh, moving visits we made to the Chernobyl Museum. And these are pictures of um, individuals who died in the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. But that was an, an amazing uh, moment in our trip to Kyiv. Um, again, this is a picture of, of the um, Chernobyl plant. And then um, Again, the, the museum there in, in Kyiv. I wonder, you know, as you guys are watching the national news, and I know some of you have been kind of sharing on, on social media your um, your recollections, some of your pictures, um, and, and the closeness that you felt with them at that time that you were there. Um, Kelly, what's it been like for you to to have that connection, to see what's happening on the news, but to also feel and remember that personal con connection that you had with the people that you met there? Well, it's heartbreaking. I mean, it is truly heartbreaking because um, it, it's the people, it's the architecture. It, it's it's just when I went there, I I didn't know what to expect. I mean, not many Americans travel to to Ukraine, and so I didn't really know what to expect. And I fell in love with the country, and I fell in love with its people. And so this this is very heartbreaking. I am not surprised, however to see them fighting valiantly for their country. That doesn't surprise me in the least. Um, this is a group of people that when, once I met them, I wondered how they ever survived under the Soviet um, 
method because they are so colorful and and so hospitable and you meet them and to be honest with you the party is on and and it's just whether they have to it, it, whether they have any money in their pocket um or they even have a shirt off their on their back they'll give it to you um and, and it's just you know i i look back on my pictures now and it really chokes me up because um you know sometimes you can know people for all your life and really not know them and then there's sometimes you meet people and you spend a week with them and you feel like you've known them all your life. And that's the way I feel like about the people I met in Ukraine. They are just, um, that picture right there was on the platform um, as we were getting ready to leave Ivano Franke. And no one wanted to leave. No one wanted to go. I didn't want to go home um, because the connections were so great. And it wasn't just the friendship, but the professional sharing that we did um, and I left, I left that country with a, a renewed feeling about what I did for a living. I, I was proud to be a journalist. And, you know, I took a lot of things for granted before that, uh, the freedoms we have here. They would cover a news story. And if the government didn't like it, they unplugged the electricity to the television station. Um, their job was very hard. And, and ours was so easy compared to that. So my my respect, my heart, and and a little piece of me is still in Ukraine. Dan, I noticed you nodding your head along to what Kelly was saying. Um, you know, what's it been like for you to to watch what is happening to the places where you have you have walked in? Kelly said it so eloquently. It's been devastating. It's been heartbreaking. Um, when we were there, we were told we were not allowed to go anywhere by ourselves. Uh, we couldn't go across the street to get a snack or anything. Um, because they, they were worried about our safety. Um, again, they were dealing with a lot of corruption there, a lot of police corruption. They were concerned about that. So in effect, um, these people became our caretakers as well. Um, and we were there to help them, but really they were helping us beyond measure, um, just showing us how to report in circumstances that are hard to imagine from in America. Um, like Kelly said, the government was very involved. If they didn't like a story, you know, they would be afraid of repercussions. Um, and it's just hard to, it's hard to imagine what's going on for them thinking back. Um, it's just devastating that these people are asking for help to, for, um, th there's a group message going on and they're trying to raise money for helmets and ammunition and medicine. And it's, it's just unbelievable. It's hard to describe really. Um, and like Kelly said, too, you, you meet these people and it, it, it's a lifelong friendship. Um, one of the translators has been over here several times since uh, we just had dinner in November. Um, you know, so it's great catching up and I've vowed to go back. And when I go back, I, I really hope um, Ukraine is independent and um, is far past um, the current situation that's going on now. Joe, same question to you. Um, lessons learned. There was a right. lot that those journalists wanted to learn about how you guys were doing things here. What do you think long term? It's It's been a while since your visit, but now that you have a little bit of longevity for that, um, you know, to, to look back into the past and realize the impact of your travels, what do you think has been the overall impact to you as a journalist here in Roanoke? Well, both Dan and, and Kelly said it well um, in terms of just the uh, the passion that they brought to their uh, work. 
Um, and again, the commitment in very uh, difficult circumstances. I mean, things that we take for granted in terms of covering a story and feeling that uh, you know we can ask a difficult question of a public official and not uh, fear the repercussions. But we had, you know, there were situations, as Dan pointed out, where these media organizations had been threatened physically, um, whether uh, with you know violence or had been threatened with being shut down, both in um, Ukraine and later on in Georgia, where we also had um, had uh, media partnerships there as well. So um, they they just impressed me with their commitment to being an independent voice for their communities, and uh, not you know not being deterred by the threat of violence or uh, you know government retribution. Kelly, I know that some of you guys have stayed in contact personally and professionally with the people that you met on the trip. Um, the people who are, you know, maybe posting so to social media or keeping their circle updated, um, the journalists that you met, what are you hearing from people today? Well, a, a variety of things. There's about six or seven people I keep in contact with. Um, some of them are, are still working in the journalism field. Um, and I know that uh, several of the organizations have actually band together. Um, these were these in in a in an emerging democracy and emerging capitalism. There they um, they are competitors, but because of the emergency, they several of the large national journalism networks and organizations have have banded together to share information uh, to get you know as much information out as possible. So I have several friends who are working in that area. Um, but one of my very close friends, um, and I don't mention her name because I don't know what the repercussions of that might be in the future, but she is in a hospital in Western Ukraine with COVID. And, you know, it's almost easy to forget that we're still in a pandemic. And for a country like Ukraine, they're not as far along as we are in this country with vaccines and treatments. And she, she and her family all have COVID. They escaped Kiev and they're in far Western Ukraine. She'd like to move into Poland with her children, but she's in the hospital at the moment. And, you know, with complications from COVID, my heart breaks. I feel so helpless. Um, these people were so good to us and, and they opened their hearts in their homes and, and took care of us. And I just, you know, wish there was more we could do for them now. I know there's plenty of organizations that are collecting money and you know I will definitely support that but boy I wish <laughs> I wish so much I could reach out and just say come to my house let me help you and um so hard to do Dan you mentioned there was a, a group chat going around where they were you know kind of creating some fundraiser for um the the supplies that they were needing what else have you been hearing from them in that group chat that, that's really been the main focus in that group chat um and the, the main person driving that was um, one of the translators who I mentioned has been here a few times. Um, as far as the newspaper that I visited in Kirovograd, uh, quite honestly, I'm not really sure what the status of that publication is. Um, I've been getting kind of some mixed information, and I'm wondering if it is one of the organizations that have banded together with a, another newspaper. The one person who I've been able to reach out to. Um, she didn't really have any too many details, but she just asked that we pray for them. Um, and I, it's just so heartbreaking thinking about that. And again, thinking about all that they offered to us and 
um, how gracious they were. They opened up their homes and were so thankful to have us. Um, but they're really trying to look out for their fellow countrymen as far as raising money for medicine um, and, and other supplies. So uh, it's, it's just devastating. Well, I appreciate all of you sharing your recollections. Um, before we go, I wonder if there's just, you know, if people can take away one thing from your conversation and one thing uh, about this special connection between WDBJ7 and Ukraine. We'll start with you, Kelly. I mean, what's what's what do you think is the overall lasting impact of that, those relationships that were formed several years ago? Uh, you know, I hope we did some good. Um, I know they did much more for me than I did for them. But I hope that we left them with an understanding of public service and a, a television stations um, really requirement in this world to provide public service. And I, I know that they're using that now. I've got to believe that, you know, that that is in place now. Um, what what I'm holding on to hope about with Ukraine is they have been smacked down so many times they have just been smacked down all through history. And like I said before, I don't think they ever fit the mold of being oppressed. This is a people that wants to be free. And this isn't just something new. This is something that's been going on for decades and centuries. And so whatever happens here, I believe the Ukrainian people will rise again. I just think that even if they are invaded completely, the insurgents will go on and on and on, and they will continue to fight for freedom un until there's no more Ukrainians left, if that's the case. And uh, and I believe they'll be victorious. I mean, they say glory to Ukraine, and and I I believe them. I believe them, and that is my hope for them. It is awfully hard to find hope in in what we're seeing right now, but I, I just met I just met people that had just gained that freedom. And to give you, you know, a little bit of an example, um, we were talking about when we had been there and Joe was there in 2004. I was there in 2005 and 2008. And Dan was there in 2013. You could watch the economy grow. You could watch the middle class grow. You could watch entrepreneurship, you know, grow. Um, and I've never seen anything like that. I mean, it's not something I've witnessed before to watch a democracy emerge. And once that happens, it's really hard to take it back because people get a taste of it and that's what they want. Dan, same question to you. Uh, what do you think has been the overall impact of this connection with Channel 7? If there's one, one thing that people can take away from our conversation today, what, what is it that you hope that they glean? Well, I, the group that I went with, um, our goal was to make sure that um, information that was being put out there was correct and accurate. Um, and also how to utilize social media. Um, and you've seen how prevalent that has been and how important that has been to this situation. Um, one of the scenarios we went through with the newspaper was what happened if something happened to the uranium mine in town? What, how would you handle that? Um, so in some way, I hope there were some lessons learned there. Um, my takeaway again is just a wonderful country, beautiful people. Um, the sense that I got was they really wanted to be um, part of the Western world and affiliated with Europe. There was a lot of excitement there um, around the time that I was there because they had just hosted um, a major European soccer tournament. Um, that was a big deal. There was a lot of infrastructure that went there. The trains that 
um, you see images on, of on TV right now. Those were all brand new and it was tied into that soccer tournament. Um, so that desire to be democratic, to be independent, um, that's just not going to go away. And the spirit and the culture, um, that's what they're fighting for. And I don't see them ever backing down. Um, it's too important to them. And um, again, what I took away was from that trip um, will stay with me forever. The friendships will stay with me forever. It's a special country um, with a lot of very special people who um, we form lifelong relationships with. And Jody, back to you, what do you think has been, we talked about kind of the lasting legacy for you as, a, as an individual and as a journalist, but what do you think that having that connection was able to do, um, you know, back here for the, the community at DBJ7 and, and the efforts of the journalists here in Roanoke? Well, again, I think uh, they helped to confirm our own uh, passion for the job and, and our own um, interest in the higher ideals uh, of journalism. Um, you know, I think they shared those ideals with us and, and really uh, pursued it uh, with passion. And so that, that to me, was uh, probably the most lasting impact. As Dan and Kelly have said, I mean, uh, these are beautiful people who welcomed us into their community. And, uh, you know, we'll never forget that. And, and we're certainly, you know, praying for their safety right now and hopeful that all the progress and uh, the, the development that's happened over the last, you know, 10, well, now almost 20 years since we uh, were first involved with them won't be lost in the course of this conflict with Russia. My guests today have been senior reporter Joe DeShiel and former WDBJ7 news director Kelly Zuber, former WDBJ7 digital manager Dan Sweeney. I'd like to thank all of you for sharing your pictures and your perspectives with us this evening. Glad to do it, Leanna. Thank Thanks, Leanna. If you'd like to see some of the pictures Joe and Kelly and Dan took during their trips, you can check out the story on WDBJ7.com. Hometown Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. This episode was produced by me, Leanna Scacchetti, and edited by Ben Raquelmi. We'll see you next time. Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.